Good evening, LCM. Good evening. Tonight is July 6, 2023. The title of tonight's sermon is going to be National Treasure. Say National Treasure. Oh, yeah. This thing yeah. is on. No Nicolas Cage. <laughs> <laughs> we want to start off with saying how thankful we are to be in a body like this. You guys are on the mountaintop. Looking from God's perspective with the heavenly view. You've been walking with the Urim and the Thummim on your breastplate. Making decisions for your brothers and about the world with the word and the spirit and your brothers in mind. You've been functioning in your God-given design and you are calling each other up higher onto that mountain as you do it. Brings to mind a passage for us. Yeah, it's always good to go to the word. Y'all agree? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to start in Psalm 132, verses 13 through 16. I like it already. Say national treasure when you get there. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling. This is my resting place forever and ever. Here I will sit enthroned, for I have desired it. I will bless her with abundant provisions, and her poor will I satisfy with food. I will clothe her priests with salvation, and her saints shall ever sing for joy. Church, are you blessed? Yes. Are you clothed with salvation as priests of the living God? Yes. We know that you are. That's why we have this message this evening. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we can see you guys beaming with the light of Christ. We can see how God is working in your midst. We can see how God has clothed you with heavenly arraignment of salvation. I'm looking at a man like Damon, and I remember what Damon was before he got here. Actually, I remember what he was when he got here. And where he is now, this man has been clothed with salvation, and he is shining with the light of Christ. Come on, it's impossible to miss Memo in the back there with that old yeah. shirt. Shine, we all baby. see that Memo is rising in his priesthood. Church, while we're speaking about clothing, let's go to Exodus 28. We're going to start in verse 15. As you return into Exodus chapter 28, say national treasure. We're going to take this in the NIV. Fashion a breastpiece for making decisions. The work of a skilled craftsman. I think that kind of nullifies me for making the breast piece. But <laughs> I don't think so. No, not, not true at all. <laughs> Make it like the ephod of gold and of blue, purple and scarlet yarn, and a finely twisted linen. The Lord was very clear in his direction to Moses about the breast piece because the breast piece was a necessity for making decisions. You couldn't yeah. do it without it. So it was important to get that one right. The dimensions were made through the Urim and the Thummim. Everything centers around the word and the spirit. You guys remember this? The Urim is the word of God over our hearts. The Thummim is the spirit of God over our hearts. Y'all remember this? We talked through our tribal encampment. We talked through the positioning. We're not going to go back through all of that. Oh, but it was good. In verses 16 through 20, the Lord gives specific detail about stones that are placed on the breastpiece and what kind of material they would be in their specific arrangement. But we're going to jump down to verse 21. There are to be 12 stones, one for each of the names of the sons of Israel, each engraved like a seal with the names, name of the one of the 12 tribes. The stones are jewels that represent right relationship with our brothers on our chest. Yeah. These jewels are only valuable to Israel. 
because they're placed on the ephod. What would you do with a jath, jathaneth in the desert? Who you trade I, I really it with? I don't know, Gabe. What, what value not. is that to you if it's a stone? It's only valuable because it is placed in the ephod. Yeah. Secondly, they're only valuable when they're in right arrangement with the rest of the stones. A singular gem is not of much use to you because one gem does not an ephod make. We learned Sunday that this is, what it, this is the means by which we make decisions. Yeah. Were y'all blessed by Sunday's message? Were you blessed by knowing that in every situation and in every circumstance, you have the means of making decisions? You have the urim on your heart. You have the thumim, the spirit of God, over your heart, in your heart. And you have right relationship with your brothers that always allows you to triangulate the will of God on the earth. I was personally blessed by that. My decision making is getting (laughs) increasingly better. So the breast piece that Aaron would wear is extremely valuable in its function and relation to the nation of Israel, meaning his brothers. When they saw the ephod, when they saw the breast piece, they would call to mind how God saw them. The question we have is that has anyone read all the way through Exodus chapter 28? Anybody read all the way through it? Raise your hands. Okay, well, you're already going to know where we're going, so just, just... Let us go there together. (laughs) Not only do we have details on how to make the breast piece, but Exodus details all of the holy garments. Say all of the holy garments. All of the holy garments. So we're going to turn the jewel a little bit and look at another facet of the ephod, another facet of the holy garments that God ordained for his people. So in light of this, we wanted to take a look at another piece in it And we're going to start in Exodus 28, verse 9. Look at that. You're already there. Go back to verse 9. Take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. In the order of their birth, six names on one stone and the remaining six on the other. Engrave the names of the sons of Israel on the two stones the way a gem cutter engraves a seal. Then mount the stones in gold filigree settings and fasten them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. Aaron is to bear the names on his shoulders as a memorial before the Lord. So church, we've got horizontal and we've got vertical memorials that we're going to be talking about. When you look at your brother's ephod, what you would see is your family stone placed on it. And that would be a memorial to you. But the Lord did something interesting. He put memorial stones on the shoulder of the priests. Yeah. I don't know about you guys, but it'd be kind of hard to read up here. Yeah. Not sure that it would be seen by the casual viewer. This was designed to be a memorial before the Lord. That he bears the Israelites on his shoulders. We have vertical and we have horizontal memorials here. Church, can't you be comforted by the fact that when God looks at your brother, he sees a memorial that he carries you on his shoulders? Yes. As we engage with this, the memorial stone concept is even more beautiful in light of uh, present daily realities of life. You will understand more of what I mean when we get to John 8. If we can go to John 8, starting in verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. So we're going to take a little bit of the illusion of the first time here. We're on the Mount of Olives, where the great high priest is going to return for his people. He's in the temple courts with all of his tribes surrounding him. 
The teachers of the laws and Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, in the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. If you want to know what he's writing on the desk, buy my father a beer or a cup of coffee and he'll talk to you about that later. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Who Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. See, church, this passage reminded me of Zechariah 3. There's an adulterous woman that is caught in the temple, surrounded by her accusers, and yet there was no one to accuse her in the presence of her high priest. This is like Joshua standing there with dirty clothes. That's where the Lord found him, but that's not where the Lord left him. Amen. I found myself struggling this week. An amazing sermon on Sunday, at least I think so. And going through the rest of my week and not being so amazing myself. Finding myself with those dirty clothes. Finding myself standing surrounded by my accusers and unable to stand in the presence of my high priest. How could I possibly teach these things? How could I so confidently espouse them and then finding myself unable to do them? What I found while we were studying for this message is that like Zechariah, the Lord takes those dirty clothes off of me again. Amen. The Lord says, where are those who condemn you? Then neither shall I leave your life of sin. The point was never for condemnation, but the point was for freedom. Yeah. That the Lord is setting free those that he desires to be in his ephod. Yeah. The high priest saw a daughter that was supposed to be affixed into his ephod. He was standing there in a trap, but the great high priest was looking at his daughter. And he remembered, I bear that one on my shoulders. On. Just like is happening for me and was happening for me. I'm an uncut stone that really needs to be viewed from a heavenly perspective and be polished and fitted into this ephod properly. See, I needed to work on my vertical memorial this week. I love what Gabe is sharing here. Can anybody relate to what Gabe is saying? Yeah. Right? Sunday was amazing. And you did fantastic, by the way, Gabe. I'm going to say it so everybody can hear. What an amazing sermon. And between Sunday and now, we can see areas where we still need some more polishing. And Gabe just said himself, hey... I'm an uncut stone that needs to be viewed from a heavenly perspective and polished and fitted upon the ephod. Well, it so happens that Gabe is not the only one preaching. It's Gabe, myself, and Linton. And I can look at my week and I can see areas where the Lord is working to eradicate things inside of my life. So with that being said, let's go to Matthew chapter 3. And as you turn and say, national treasure. When we get to Matthew, Matthew chapter 3, we're going to pick up in verse 13. Look at what it says. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Anybody who's really engaged with this passage in Matthew 3, doesn't this question from John the Immersive to Jesus kind of strike you as strange? Yes. In fact, in the NLT, what it says here in Matthew 3, he says, I, I need to be baptized by you, so why 
are you coming to me? Think about this. Before Jesus shows up to be baptized by John, how many other people has John already baptized up until this point? Probably hundreds, tons. So Pastor Matthew, he's not doing anything out of the ordinary of what he's already been doing. So as I'm engaging with this, John and Jesus, they're related. And they're related in, in, in this light. Both men had prophetic messages in the Old Testament about their birth. Yep. Both men had angelic visitations to their earthly fathers to confirm their birth. Yeah. Both men, right, were filled in, with the Holy Spirit in their mother's womb. So when you look at Jesus, and you look at John, you can see su such clear similarities. And yet, John is standing there, and Caleb Brown, he cannot fathom how Jesus could ever need him. They have the exact same fixed value, but John is wrestling with something. Well, I was also wrestling with something in light of this. I put myself in John the Immerser's shoes. And I'm standing there, and I've baptized hundreds of people, and here comes my brother Jesus. And immediately, what is trying to grip me in that moment is a fear of failure. Can I actually do this? All the focus is upon me. I wasn't thinking about it earlier, but now it's really, it's really a high-tense situation. I mean, we're talking about Jesus here. The same one that I said I am unfit to, to untie his sandal. The same one is standing here. All the attention is on me. All the focus is on me. Me, 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 me. Right? But look at what Jesus goes on to say to his brother John in verse 15. It says this. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. Do you know what the cure for failure is? Say, what's the cure, Abimbola? Is being encouraged by your brothers to have the courage to try with them and for them. Oh, come on. Say that again. Come See, on. the cure, Justin Linton, the cure for fear of failure is to have your brothers encourage you to step out in faith and to try with them and for them. Come on. See, it's being able to take the attention off of yourself. And that's what the Lord was showing me through pastors and brothers. Like, hey, this is not about you, right? And John is wrestling with this. See, when you think about Matthew 3, what we just read in light of Exodus chapter 28, as an Israelite, whenever you would see Aaron, what would you see? Gabe alluded to it earlier. You would see that your tribal stone is upon the ephod of your high priest. And any interaction that you would have with them, you would always keep in mind that you guys are brothers and he is fighting on your behalf. He is your high priest. Your stone is there placed as a memorial before him. This is the, heaven, this is the horizontal relationship that we're supposed to have towards each other. Standing there before the high priest, he's for you, and also God is for you as well. He would know this by his interaction with them. Now think about Jesus. Jesus is our great high priest, yeah. and he's standing there before John the Immerser. John couldn't see himself rightly, but Jesus helped him see himself rightly. Can you guys relate to that? Yeah. There are times where you... I mean, you, you know what the word of God says, but in this particular instance, you just cannot. Maybe you're cloudy. You had a rough day. You fought with your wife. Your kid is throwing up. <laughs> the boss is angry at you. All these different things, but you can't see yourself rightly. And you have a brother there like Jesus, like Adam Cora, 
like Steve Thomas, like Rob Barnett, stand in there to remind you of your heavenly calling and who you are. Man, that's happened to me so many times, Nolan. So many times where I could not see myself rightly and I had men of God encourage me to try with them and for them. And we know that John got it right. He baptized Jesus. The, the, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. I mean, it's a glorious event, but they did it together. They tried together to fulfill all righteousness. See, LCM, I too was an uncut stone taken from the earth, polished and set into the high priest ephod along with my brothers. Come on. Come on, LCM. Do you see these lions of men standing right here with me? These are men who were uncut stones, and they have been polished. As a matter of fact, they have been given an ephod. They have the word. They have the spirit. And they have the daily concern and right relationship with their brothers. Did, I bet when we said vertical and horizontal relationship, you thought we were going to First John, right? That's where you thought we were going. But do you see how operating from a, a, a right vertical relationship, knowing that the Lord has your name and your brother's names on his shoulder, could encourage you to continue walking in your priesthood, could encourage you to continue to use the ephod for your brother's well-being? Can you see how having a brother before you as a high priest, yup, yup, you, you both have an ephod, but having a brother before you that has your family's gemstone in his breast piece, yeah. could you see how you could be reminded of who you are as your brother speaks your Abigails over you? Yeah. And even more than that, as he, as he actually treats you like your Abigails, yeah. can you see that? Yeah. See, this is what we need. This is what we've been given and it's what you're walking in and it's for a purpose. The same purpose that God gave Aaron a priesthood. God gave Aaron a priesthood that he might walk in. He gave him the priesthood long before Aaron proved any ability to actually be a priest. As a matter of fact, he was doing the exact opposite when God gave him the priesthood. Can you relate? Yes. All of us have been given things that God has ordained that we walk into. Right? I was given a priesthood. I was given a function. And at the time I was given, it was given to me. I wasn't walking in it. I didn't know there was such a thing. And yet, God ordained it, and He is making a way inch by inch, active obedience by active obedience, for me to walk in that priesthood. And it's the same for these men that are standing here to my to my right. Aaron and his sons grew into their priestly garments. They, they didn't. They didn't start by proving it. They started by receiving the garments and then beginning to walk in it. Now, this is more uh, plainly stated in Revelation 19, but you're not going to go there. Long before we had proven any sort of ability to perform, God gave us deeds to grow into. He clothed us with righteous deeds that he knew that we would walk into through his empowerment. And in Revelation 19, verse 8, you know that the bride that is coming down from heaven, she, she is given fine linen. Fine living, bright and clean. And you know, what, what are those, what does that fine linen stand for? Righteous deeds. The fine linen stands for righteous deeds. So it's not just that these men were clothed with heavenly garments. They were clothed with righteous deeds. It's not just that you have the, the, the Urim and the Thummim and the, the right concern of your brothers to clothe you. But you also have been given righteous deeds to walk in and God has said it from the beginning hey this is how Brandon's going to function in his home 
this is how, how Ethan Riasora is going gonna, is gonna to function in the body of Christ. Come on. God has already called it. Through the word and the spirit and right relationship with our brothers, we clothe one another. Amen. Have you been clothed in this house? Yes. Raise your hand if you've been given a task to do that you had no plan on doing, didn't know how to do, wasn't sure why they picked you. Yeah, it's everybody, right? If you've been saved, that's you. Because God gave you a task. He gave you righteous deeds to walk in. And he has been with you every step of the way. You have brother, you've had brothers there with you every step of the way to remind you of the righteous deed that you've been given to walk in. This is just like Abraham, the father of our faith. We were created to walk in righteousness. Abraham was created to walk in righteousness even when he was not yet a father. He was given the name of a father even before he was a father and through him walking out in daily obedience, he proved what God said. But he didn't earn it. Right? He walked in what he was given. So turn with us to Galatians 3 verse 5 as we continue to engage with this. Yeah, say national treasures. You're turning to Galatians chapter 3 verse 5. Does God, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Amen. Amen. And announced, that the gospel, and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. To believe in God and to walk in what he has told you is you being credited with righteousness. Yeah. He is crediting you with the righteous deeds he apportioned to you ahead of you doing them. Yeah. Yeah. We have engaged with this and it has impacted us deeply. We need to provide some context for why Paul is saying what he is saying here. Paul has written a letter to the church of Galatia that uh, some men have snuck in. False brothers. Yeah. And Fine. they're trying to convince the Galatians that the faith that they had was not enough. That they needed to prove it with some outward adornment to prove that they were of the faith of Abraham. Paul is dealing with some heretical teachings. But those that rose up among their midst were trying to compel them that Messiah wasn't enough for you. The high priest wasn't enough for you. There was something that needed to be added to your faith. Can we all feel this for just a moment? We've got notes here, but you've got this calling from God. And you're sitting there and you're like, all right, Lord, what do I need to do? Lord, do I need to get rid of this t-shirt and some of the testimonies early on in faith as you get more into it? Um, I'm going to this group with brothers, Lord, and I know you gave me this word. What is this homiletic I need to add to it? What is it that I need to do to add to the faith that you've already given me? I can share this with you confidently because I felt quite a bit of that with putting together this sermon. Come on. It's nervous, fearful that it wouldn't do exactly what the Lord intended it to do. That the faith the Lord had put in the three of us was just not quite enough. We needed to add something to prove to it. But can we all testify and stand here in belief that God and the faith and the credited works he's given you is enough for you to walk it out? Yes. yes. 
we literally told Peyton, like, hey, that worship set was where we're going in the Word, so we could just, just worship, and we're, we're done. But we're not doing that, obviously. We family. I want to talk to my family. Can I talk to my family? Yes, talk to us, Justin Lutz. So let me tell you how Sunday's sermon and how this uh, revelation has been impacting me. And keep in mind where we've come from. God has already given righteous deeds to your brothers, and he's given righteous deeds to you. Now, you still walked in them, right? You still had to, you still had to go and do it, right? God said, God told uh, Moses, hey, send Joshua to go over there and slap up on the Amalekites, right? When I slap up, you know what I mean. He, he told him to go to war with the Amalekites. Now, Moses didn't go and fight Joshua's battle for him, right? And we want to make that distinction. We're not talking about the fact that you don't have to do anything. No, you actually have to go to war. But Moses was a man who was interceding for Joshua because he heard what God said. And so he was interceding on his behalf. How this uh, impacted me this week is because I, I really engaged with Galatians. As a matter of fact, I think half of the church this week was in Galatians. So as Gabe said, Paul was at odds with his Jewish brothers. They were requiring external proof of what God had already initiated inwardly. I'm not talking about having no proof. I'm saying God had already initiated it and you saw the transformation taking place in the Galatians and yet they were saying you need some more external proof other than what God has already begun by his spirit. You all know that John 6, says that no, one's, no one can come unless the Father draws them. Well, the Lord had already been drawing these men. The Lord had already given them his word, and it was transforming their, their minds and their hearts. He had already filled them with his spirit, and they were developing right relationship with their brothers, both in, both in that church and in the church in Jerusalem. And yet, these Jewish brothers were compelling them to show some external proof. Let me tell you how that impacted me this week, because I was deeply moved with the concept of clothing my brothers. After having my identity set in right place by, by going up on the mountain, after having my brother's identity set, place, set in place by going up on the mountain, you're then to clothe them with who God says they were. And I was impacted by this passage because I looked at these men, and I didn't say bad, false brothers. I said, wow. How often do I require you to prove to me that you are who God said you are before I actually credit you with those righteous deeds? How often am I looking for you to show me first that you are the man of God that you are before I actually credit you with the deeds that you should grow into? We're not talking about uh, uh, looking at each other through rosy colored glasses. We're talking about going up to the heavens, having a heavenly perspective, knowing what God has says your brother are, and then crediting him with those righteous deeds. Not just words, not just life-giving prophetic speech. And, and that, that's important. But I'm saying, how, do, does your brother have to prove to you that he can discern rightly before you give him authority in your life? Does a, does a disciple have to prove to you that he can actually uh, open, up a, uh, open up a service or share a word before you let him do it? We got to hit on that for just a second here. Do it. Are there people in the room, and of course not, but that you would trust just a little more to give you directive in your life than another? Yes. Best things, yes. Are you crediting them with having accomplished the goal and the deeds that Lord has set out for them, or are you still waiting a little bit for them to prove it to you more? Yeah, that happens to me too. 
I got my housemates, we got the 12, we've got the pastors, and I'd be tempted to put us all in tears of how much I'll listen to you, how much I'll credit you with the deeds that you've accomplished. Truth is, is that the weakest among us, the youngest, our Valerie over here, is more than capable of hearing from God about who the Lord has called you to be and crediting you with it. Oh, she does it every Friday night in discipleship training. She might cast out a demon too. To, to my brother's point, when you think about Jesus, the perfect great high priest, the one who is without sin, and he looks at the disciples and says, hey, come and follow me. We can see in Mark 3 that he goes on a mountaintop and he prays and comes back down and he draws the disciples to him. He didn't say, prove to me first that you're worthy of following me. He had a heavenly perspective and he clothed these men with righteous deeds. And then they proved it out by through the supernatural work of the spirit and his glorious direction in their lives. And this, this is exactly what we're talking about tonight is being able to look at our brothers rightly through heaven's perspective, heaven's filter through the word and the spirit. And say, hey, this is who you are, Nick Rosales, and walk in it. This is what the Father's doing in our midst, and this is what he's doing inside of us. And he's, he's cutting away those things that get in the way, that are the obstacles that trip us up from fighting for fighting for each other and fighting for the righteous deeds that God has clearly called us to walk in. Yeah. This, uh, like I said, this hit me square in my chest. Because if I look back at my life, anything good that I have, it's been accredited to me long before I actually was walking in it. Anything good that you see in me was spoken into me by the word and by brothers. And by combining it with some faith, I actually began to walk in it. And you know what? There was a few times where I, I felt, where I tripped. I had to be reminded that he looks upon me and he sees me on the high priest's shoulders. And I had to be reminded of my horizontal critical horizontal reticle that when I look at my brother and he reminds me of who God says that I am what I am how I look on the high priest's garment on the ephod man that is who I am I not only believe you I believe that you believe it I believe that I believe that you believe and all of that is not even for us it's not about you you know why because you are called to clothe your brothers in the very same thing I can only see so far behind my back right I have brothers all around me who clothe me with righteousness, who see the things that I don't see. And that's what we're called to be for one another. Yeah. You might look at me and say, ah, oh, Gabe, I don't, I, don't know if, I don't know if I'm called to be uh, this high priest. I don't know if I'm called to this ministry. And Gabe would look at me, square my eyes. He may slap me upside my head and says, what are you talking about? This is what the Lord says, and this is who you are. Stand up in your call. As a matter of fact, go pray, go prophesy. Hey, go, go and rescue your family. Go in and, and, and get that word. As a matter of fact, uh, we're going on a mission trip. Let's, I'm going with you. We're going together. This is how we function in this body. And this is how God has called us to function as we clothe one another so that we might fill this room. More of that later. So let's just put 1 Samuel chapter 30 on the screen. A lot of us are familiar with this passage. It's Ziglag. David and his men have come back to, to meet their families. And the village is burned. And it's just chaos. The wives are gone. Children are gone. Men are weeping. And it, it's just, it doesn't look good. So look at 1 bad, Samuel bad, bad. chapter 30, verse 6. It says, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. I would imagine why he was distressed. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. 
But David found strength in the Lord his God. Look at verse 7. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. And Abiathar brought it to him. Oh, man, Rick, the amount of times I've read this passage, and I've talked to Timothy about this, I'm like, when, when David says, bring me the ephod, that's like one of the best lines in the Bible. The amount of times I've read this passage from the perspective of David and David alone and him being God's man of power for the hour is absolutely wrong. David is not on a mountaintop by himself. He has a brother next to him. Did y'all catch in verse 7? David said to Abiathar, some random person. No, Abiathar, the priest, bring me the ephod. For your further study, you can look at Numbers 27 and see the relationship between the priest and the man that's leading the nation. It's Numbers 27 with Joshua and Eleazar. And Joshua it goes to Eleazar and Eleazar is supposed to hear for Joshua through the Urum and the Thummim and make decisions. And they're working together. And that's the context of what we're looking at in 1 Samuel chapter 30. See, these men, Abiathar and David, Heard from the Lord together, and we know the rest of the story. The Lord restored everything and much more. Family, kids, cattle, everything. But it came as a result of brothers clothing each other with righteous deeds of trust. Amen. That situation is not easy to hear from the Lord from. It's not easy to hear from the Lord by yourself. We're talking about the lives of men and women, your brothers. And to have a brother next to you, you guys are working together to hear from the Lord together. How many times has that happened in this body? Isn't that what step three is for in our team unity formation meetings? When we bring things to our brothers and we get the counsel of the word together, like 1 Corinthians says, that we have the mind of Christ. God honors what David and Abiathar are doing here and it restores everything. CLCM, we have to clothe each other with righteous deeds of trust. This is, I need my brother, and my brother needs me. This is what love for the brotherhood looks like. And, uh, and we'll get into Galatians here in a second, and it is what Paul is talking about when he's addressing his brothers. The more than we do this, and LCM, we have been doing this, and the Lord is calling us higher to do this all the more because the nations are at stake. So let's pick back up. In Galatians chapter 3, and we'll pick up in verse 15. National treasure as you're getting there. National, National treasure. treasure. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to human covenant that has been duly established, so it is, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Church, let's set aside our doctrinal dodgeball here about the law and the promise and focus on how this applies to us in our daily lives. God has given us promises in this church. Yes? Yes. Your righteous acts were set aside for you to do by promise, not by letter of the law. Every failure that has come from the letter of the law that you missed came subsequent to the promise, which means it does not nullify the promise for you. Can we get a hallelujah there? Hallelujah. 
Paul says that he wants to use an example from everyday life. So we intend to do the same. Let's take a look at a slide. This is from our Life Changing Ministries website. Life Changing Ministries was formed under the direction of King Jesus with many convincing miraculous affirmations regarding our direction and vision. Our driving purpose is to see the kingdom of God advance on earth as we await the renewal of all things. As we join with the worldwide body of Christ in this effort, our emphasis is on seeing the life-transforming power of God, changing one life at a time. These precious lives are then to be polished as if they were rare metals or valuable gems by the doctrine of the apostles and the spirit of God so that we may be thoroughly equipped to accomplish the work that they were uniquely called to perform. Church, we just read from our website a promise established for LCM before any of us got here. Yeah, for sure. You are called into a promise of righteousness to find the rare metals and the gems of the earth and polish them for the king's purpose. I don't know if y'all know this, but this is what you signed up for. And by promise, God has given it to you, not by the letter of the law, but he established it by promise. So another note, you can't mess it up. You keep going and you keep trying and you will find these precious metals and you will polish them and make them for God's purpose. The Lord spoke in the formative years of this church. We so formative, we tried to hunt down the context for it and were unable to do so. Early, early, early. That what was coming into this church were kind of dirty gems that were earthen, got a little mud on them. Uh, We called it doormat ministries for a while but that the glory of God would be shined forth through them through the polishing of these uncut stones. And we're learning that these uncut stones are arranged in an ephod all together. Now remember, you are the family jewels. Now we stand as a body of believers able to see with a heavenly perspective, looking for the uncut gems and stones in the world that we need to polish, that we need to be looking of how to set them in the high priest's ephod LCM will clothe them, you will polish them, and you will set them in the high priest ephod. I love the promise, the LCM promise. When I was looking and engaging with this with my brothers, it's almost like we have a specific passage from the Newer Testament and the book of Ephesians that says exactly what we just read to you. So let's put Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 on the screen. Look at this. This is what we had promised to us way before we knew of the promises to this body. Look, it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Church, we are his workmanship. We're, we, we, we went from uncut stones to the precious gemstones that we are. We are created in Christ Jesus. Think about that imagery. Think about Exodus 28. We are created in Christ Jesus, our great high priest, for works prepared in advance for us to do with our great high priest and also with each other as a brotherhood. See, this is the vertical and horizontal relationship that we've been talking about throughout this sermon. See, LCM, as we are walking rightly in our relationships with our king and also each other and clothing each other with righteous deeds... Then we can look outward to those who are not a part of this body. So in context, Ephesians 2, 
Paul's writing to believers. And there are people that are not a part of this body that God has promises for. God has prepared things in advance for them to do. And what is required is that we have the exact same heavenly perspective as our great king, that mountaintop view to rightly see people out there exactly how he sees them. Beth, can you put that slide back up? See, as we went back and looked at this promise to LCM, I can look at that, and then I can look at you and say promise fulfilled. I can see uncut stones. I can look look in the mirror and see an uncut stone, see a gem that has been polished, that is now working in the function that God always said that I would. This is what has been done for you. And it's a special thing. You've had your horizontal reticle set in right alignment. You've had the vertical set in right alignment. And now you've been clothed through discipleship, through this way of life, through faithfulness, through hard times, through difficulty, through struggle together, through success. And now God is saying, turn the gym. You're called to go out and do the very same thing that was done for you, for them. There are seats that need to be filled. And I can care less about a number. You know us. We can care less. But what I do care about is that God gets his glory out of every life that he breathed his spirit into. There, there are chairs in his room that need to be filled. And you know who's going to make that happen? The people of ministry. The ones who are walking around with the ephod. You have the the word of God with you, correct? Yes. You have the spirit of God inside you, right? Yes. You have the right relationship with your brothers, don't you? Yes. Well, let's add something to that. Now you can look into an an uncut stone, a a dirty gym. (laughs) But you can look in the word and your father will show you by his spirit what they are, what they need to be. Now you can't walk it for them. But you can't say, hey, this is who you're called to be. And you can watch them grow into what they are. You know how I know that? I'm living proof. It's what's been done for me. You've done that. You have walked in what's been credited to you. So it's now our responsibility to go out there to find the hidden gems, to find the uncut stones, and to begin to polish. Polish them right on into the kingdom. 2 Corinthians 5, 16. As we get ready to close. Yeah, we're looking for national treasure. National treasure. Intergalactical treasure. <laughs> we're looking for those that the father has a portion and says, hey, I want this. This one fits right here. This is their spot. This is how they make up the temple. This is how they beautify me. That is our responsibility and it's our pleasure. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. You see, they are dirty. So are you. They are hidden. It's a little bit in the rough. As a matter of fact, it might be rough talking to them. So are you. But from now on, we are the ones who have the eyes, who have the heavenly perspective to go up on the mountain and say, hey, that one, Lord, that, that co-worker, that's the, that disciple. We regard no one from a worldly perspective. Reviving another uh, LCMism. It's a target-rich environment. And you have the tools for the job. 
Turn with us to Revelation 7 as we close. Revelation 7, starting in verse 9. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Church, the gems that we're talking about, the co-workers that we're talking about, they're the ones that are going to be standing before the Lamb. And every tribe, tongue, and nation must be represented. So, the tongue that is annoying at work. Yeah. Oh, wait, it's talking about languages. The difficult ones of the world are the ones that the Lord has put in front of you and have caught your eye. Because he wants them to stand before him represented, representing a nation before his throne. Representing a family before his throne. Representing a life before his throne. For us to find the jewels from every nation... We have to start now. We've talked about this in years past with missions. The vast majority of the world doesn't even know his name. We have to get started on this now. The testing ground is our brothers. The testing ground is this house. But the real war is what is out there. It's been on that back wall as long as I've been able to read it. Perform out there what you practice in here. May the lamb receive the just reward for his suffering. His just and precious reward. The Lord has put dirty earthen gems, but precious ones, in front of all of you, in front of all of us. It is our job to see them from the heavenly mountain perspective, to clean them, polish them, and look for their placement on the ephod of the great high priest. So church, how do we do this? Well, we've got four directives for us. Stand up with us. Find them. First, you've got to find them. You've got to look up from your laptop. You got to look up from your car. You got to look up from your, in your workplace and you have to find them. The next is you actually have to see them. You have to see the prophetic vision, that mountaintop view of the gym that God has called them to be. Then it's your job to polish them. Long gone are the days that we bring our lost puppy dogs to the pastors. We polish the gyms that God has put in front of us. And then we place them in that seat next to you, in that discipleship role next to you. You lavish on them as they attach to you, and you place them in that ephod of God. Church, this is what we had for you this evening, and it's been an amazing blessing to share it with you. Let's go out and find those gems and see what it is that our God will do amongst us. Father, we thank you for this group of believers. Father, we thank you that we were uncut stones that you polished into precious gems. Father, we thank you for the promises that you have given this body and the promises that we're walking in here and now. Father, may it not end with us. We say, no, Lord God, it will not end with us because the work that you've done inside of us, Lord God, we want all glory, all majesty, all honor to your name. And we say, Father, open up our eyes to see those who are unpolished right now. But Lord, you have plans prepared in advance for them to do. Lord, use us to work together, clothing one another, that we might clothe those out there, that the nations would surround your throne and bring glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name.